0: Hello and welcome to another book on the shelf podcast. I'm Jen
1: and I'm Jeff. We started a book club but we never talked about the books so we decided to start a podcast to talk about all the books. So our book club was about trying new books, new genres and getting out of our comfort zones of reading. Uh, we wanted to be exposed to new stuff which would kind of be like research that we could apply to our own writings as we are both writers. And welcome to the newest episode of another book on the shelf podcast. This time we are talking about our favorite authors as people who have read plenty of books in their lifetimes, it was a bit of a challenge to, <laughs> <laughs> to decide what uh, we we're going to base this off of and why we would pick who we picked. So our sort of loose criteria was that we've had to have read more than one book by the author. Yep. We had to have really liked more than one book by the author. Yep. And that we'd be willing to read anything without question. Yes. So if we went into the bookstore tomorrow, saw a new book by this person... Mm-hmm. We would just get it because it was by them.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, and I would like to say that I did actually go through my bookshelf and write <laughs> down authors on a list and then slowly narrow them down from there. So <laughs> I think I started with about 15, and that was just off the criteria of I've read more than one book by this person. <laughs> yeah.
1: I know, because it started off with going to be like favorite author podcast, yeah, I but then do we that. couldn't, well, one of us couldn't narrow it down. So then <laughs> I ended up bumping up to three.
0: Oh, three was hard enough.
1: But yeah, anyway. So. <laughs> the first uh, author is John Steinbeck, and it was picked by Jen.
0: Yes. So I'm sure um, most of you have heard of John Steinbeck. He's pretty well known in American literature. So he's probably best known for The Grapes of Wrath, uh, East of Eden, and Of Mice and Men. Possibly you read
1: Of Mice and Men in school. I don't know. Um, not in my school, but that's because I yeah. went to school in Footloose. So I, didn't, I didn't either, either, but... We read Grapes of Wrath. We
0: oh, did that, read that, Grapes that of is, Wrath. Yeah,
1: that's the one that we read.
0: That one's so depressing.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right.
0: I mean, not not that that Mice and Men isn't, (laughs) but it's like, it's a shorter (laughs) dose of depressingness. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I did not, and I did not know until I was uh, doing a little bit of research on John Steinbeck that he won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1962, but apparently this was a very unpopular decision. Like, nobody was real happy with the fact that he was picked for the Nobel Prize in Literature. Um, and he fully said, like, he's like, I don't know why I don't deserve this, but that, I don't know if that was just him being humble or what, but anyway, he has written 27 books, including 16 novels, six nonfiction, two collections of short stories, and I think a couple of plays as well. Um, most of them, or a lot of them anyway, are set in central California in the Salinas Valley region where he's from. He was born and raised there. His first novel was Cup of Gold, which is not anything I had actually ever heard of. Again, until no. I was doing this, uh, this research. But his first critical success came from Tortilla Flat, which I have heard of, but have not read. And it's one of his, um, one of his shorter novels. Huh. Yeah. And he wrote a lot, obviously, about the Great Depression and uh, migrant workers, which you see in Of Mice and Men and The Grapes of Wrath, which, as I mentioned, is super depressing. But it was the best-selling book of 1939 and won the National Book Award and the Pulitzer Prize. So, which I, yeah, I didn't really, like, it. the best-selling book of 1939. I guess everyone was, you know, it was the Great Depression. Everyone was depressed, so why not read about people who are equally as depressed as you are?
1: That's why everyone was so excited about uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, because that also came out in 1939. Did it? I did not know that. Yeah, it was one of, like, the first big colored... Like, color I knew films. it was
0: old. I didn't yeah. realize that it was 1939.
1: I'm pretty sure, but I mean.
0: Well, there you go. I also
1: got out of film school like two decades ago, so.
0: Well, anyway, <laughs> the working class folk, whether you be dwarves mining yeah. gems or <laughs> migrant workers moving west because all your farmland is getting <laughs> bought up by giant companies. Anyway, he died when he was 66 of congestive heart failure, which according to Wikipedia is because he smoked a lot. Um, that's fair I mean you know take take some of this with a grain of salt I was really like kind of half-assed internet research yeah <laughs> hashtag
1: the rewatchable yes, yes shout out to the ringer yes um, so did yeah you, what, did so you have for. any kind of obviously you talked a little bit about the great depression and stuff yes. were there any like main themes throughout some of his books because yeah. again I've only read the one so I don't I don't really know. Yeah,
0: so I mean, definitely, I mean, th- if you could call the Great Depression a theme, I think you probably could because he mentions it enough. And yeah, sort of like the plight of the common man, he was very much into writing about sort of your everyday uh, people, really like left-leaning and more of like a socialist kind of, and you can definitely see that in his work, um, the sort of, at least like anti-capitalist insofar as it was hurting poorer people. Yeah, and I'm always surprised with rereading or with reading any Steinbeck of how relevant it all still is um like when I first read Grapes of Wrath I was like oh this is this could be applied to everything going on with agriculture today and even yeah the the Winter of Our Discontent like same idea it was just it it really it really holds up over the years like it doesn't read like super old fiction you know other than the part in East of Eden where they're like having to crank up there. <laughs> they're like, first Ford car, and it requires, like, five levers, and there's a whole scene where they're having trouble getting this car started, but, yeah, no, really good, um, yeah, the first one I read, I first read East, read East of Eden in my high school book club, huh. yeah, yeah, yes. it was good, um, and I loved it, I wasn't really expecting that necessarily, I think, because, I don't know, sometimes classics are just like oh god this is gonna be boring
1: yeah
0: and then I loved it <laughs> and because it's kind of like a really loose retelling of Genesis I guess and the whole Cain and Abel story oh that sort of, yeah
1: that's probably why we weren't allowed to read that one oh
0: maybe <laughs> maybe but yeah so like it's these two brothers to start Cal and Aaron oh my god I'm forgetting now which one is which no Adam's sons are Cal and Aaron, mm. but Adam's brother, whose name I now forget, but is definitely also starts with a C. It's it's almost like this sort of like passing down of that that brotherly competitiveness. Oh, and okay. none of them kill the other one in this particular story, but like it's always it's always kind of kind of there, kind of there, yeah. Yeah, and then Adam's wife Kathy is like full-blown terrifying sociopath oh huh. yeah she's terrifying Intrigue. yeah and that was probably the first time I'd read about a character that was <laughs> so truly just terrifying <laughs> yeah oh the, yeah there were probably other reasons that you weren't allowed to read it and I'm pretty sure she tries to um give herself like a coat hanger abortion
1: oh yeah that's weird yeah what <laughs>
0: Which, like, now I cannot believe that we were reading this in my book club (laughs) in my Catholic high school. Like, what? (laughs) Anyway, so, yeah, that was horrifying to my, like, 17-year-old self. And then, yeah, anyway. Really good book, though. Totally talked that up, haven't I? Uh, Go read East to Beaton. (laughs) Uh, no, but it's, um, and then I read, yeah, then I read Grapes of Wrath, which I read actually while I was doing my master's in environmental studies in, like, specifically looking at food, so that was super relevant. Um, and then, yeah, Winter of Our Discontent, which, as I like to tell people, on the surface is about a guy who is trying to, like, pull off a bank heist, maybe. He's thinking of robbing a bank. Just works at a little supermarket store. Um, but yeah, then really ends up being about the slow moral decay of America. (laughs) Steinbeck is kind of depressing, guys. Just know that going in. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Are there any parts of his novels that speak to you as a writer?
0: Um, I mean, just... Oh, that's, the writing is gorgeous, always. And I, I like the way he... He sort of goes off on these tangents sometimes. Wh- which is almost like a philosophizing about life and things which I think in some writers' hands could not work at all. And I actually have a feeling that some people, this is their main criticism of John Steinbeck, but I actually think he does it really well. It goes, it's always goes in with the story really well. And like, I remember sitting down with um, Winter of Our Discontent and it had been a while since I read Steinbeck and I got to this passage where he's just like, writing in this really great way about just sort of, life and humanity and you're like and I was like oh man classic Steinbeck <laughs> I missed this like yeah. this is so good so good so I'm gonna have to read more awesome yeah yeah especially his short ones so I have a collection of his short novels that I I haven't read in its entirety but uh yeah I'm gonna get through that I'm gonna read you a little passage out of this uh out of East of Eden Um, This is chapter 34, for anyone who's interested. I believe that there is one story in the world, and only one, that has frightened and inspired us, so that we live in a pearl-white serial of continuing thought and wonder. Humans are caught in their lives, in their thoughts, in their hungers and ambitions, in their avarice and cruelty, and in their kindness and generosity, too, in a net of good and evil. I think this is the only story we have, and that it occurs on all levels of feeling and intelligence. Virtue and vice were warp and woof of our first consciousness, and they will be the fabric of our last, and this, despite any changes, we may impose on field and river and mountain, on economy and manners. There is no other story. A man, after he has brushed off the dust and chips of his life, will have left only the hard, clean questions. Was it good, or was it evil? Have I done well or ill? And then I'm actually going to give you just one more line a little further along in this, because it's, I think, one that... Some people might recognize. It seems to me that if you or I must choose between two courses of thought or action, we should remember our dying and try so to live that our death brings no pleasure to the world. Yeah. Very nice. So that's a little bit of his, like, you know, I think an example of of the philosophizing that you might call it. But I just, I don't know, I love it. I think he does it so well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I really like that.
0: So, now it's time for one of your favorite
1: authors. Yes. Uh, One of my favorite authors is Stephen King. Obviously, uh, an American author of horror, uh, supernatural fiction, suspense, sci-fi, a little bit of fantasy. Uh, He's sold over 350 million copies. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Obviously, a lot of them turn into films, miniseries, TVs, everything. Uh, He has 58 novels published and written around 200 short stories, most of which have actually also been published. I wonder
0: what his cumulative word count is. Yeah.
1: Well, so in my little internet wiki time that I spent while I was hard at work today. <laughs> um, so he actually, his goal was 2,000 words a day. Like when he sits down, right. it's 2,000 words a day. It's Apparently it's slowly uh, gotten smaller because after his car accident where he right. broke his hip and stuff like that, sitting uh, sort of bothersome and stuff. But yeah, he sets out each day with a quota of 2,000 words and usually does not stop until it's met. That's wild. (laughs) He sold his first story in 1967, and obviously, you know, he was married and had kids and was working as a teacher in Maine while contributing to magazines with a bunch of his other short stories and working on his novels. He also developed a bit of a drinking problem that many people have heard about, and if you've read things like Misery, uh, that kind of is a bit of a mask for his drinking and Mm -hmm. drug problem that he developed. His first novel was Carrie, which yes. many people have obviously seen the movie. was published in 1973. <sighs> he actually had fully thrown that book out. Yes. Like, actually yeah, in I, the garbage. Yes. And his wife took it out and was
0: like, no, nah, like, let's just. I love that little anecdote. <laughs> I think it's great.
1: Yeah. Well, it's just nice to know that, like, well, and they're still together, right? So, like, he still yes. has this person that just, like, supports him and knows and Yeah. I like it. This I did not know. He was going to give up writing in 2002.
0: I didn't know that either.
1: So he had car accident in 1999, and it was, you know, his leg was so damaged, and it just, you know, it pained him to sit and write, and so 2002, he was going to, uh, like, absolutely stop wow. writing. But he continued. He's just a little bit slower right now. Which, you know,
0: <laughs> for your, so now he's just, like, at an average normal, even, though, even no, even he's, he's still, still, he's
1: still writing so much. I feel like there's always, like, there's a book out every year. Like, I don't, yeah. as a writer, I don't understand
0: that. <laughs> No, me neither. <laughs> Me neither.
1: I have read a lot of Stephen King. It's sort of... I feel like I've read a lot, but then when we start looking at the list, right. I feel like I haven't read a lot.
0: I feel like, though, no, that's just because he has so
1: many books. Yeah. Well, there I saw this picture on Instagram, and it was a stack of all of his books, and it was, you know... Oh, yeah, I think so I saw that books. picture. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it was like, oh, my little pile looks so small. Yeah. It's only, like, one pile, where that was, like, seven yes. piles.
0: Yeah. Well, I... <laughs> yeah, I have. Not really read any. The only book i read of his is his memoir on writing, which I think is how I know that little Carrie story yeah. anecdote. Yeah. Um, and I can't find my copy, which I'm really annoyed about because <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. And ever since reading that, which by the way was like actual years ago. Yeah. I keep meaning to read more of his books and I keep forgetting. Yeah. Or just not because they're giant.
1: But yeah. So my first Stephen King novel was The Shining. Nice. Uh, which is one of those... Little gold nuggets that I managed to find in my footloose town was growing t- up. Uh, I don't always know how I found those things in the library, but sometimes they were there. That's good, and then I found them. <laughs> <laughs> but also, probably shouldn't have been reading in junior high, and that's fine.
0: Yes, <laughs> The Shining maybe is a little bit much sure. yeah. for <laughs> when you're like
1: twelve. <laughs> yeah, uh. probably. Uh, in the last ten years or so, I've definitely tried to read more, I've read Firestarter, I've started the Dark Tower series, nice. Doctor Sleep, which is actually the sequel to The Shining. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. What? Yeah, so it's it's Danny Torrance, like, as an adult. Oh. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And a bunch more. And it, it's just kind of one of those ones, like, every, I mean, you know, every time we go to the bookstore, we right. always end up over there, and then I was like, oh, like, should I just get another one? Like, yeah. I'll just pick up another one. Yeah, because there's always a new one. There's always a new one. There is always a new one. It's <laughs> wild. I feel like you there's two understand. new ones out right now. Yes.
0: Okay, but since I haven't read any Stephen King, <laughs> I mean, obviously he writes horror. Um, so like that's, I guess I don't know. Does that qualify as a theme? Not really. Maybe a little. Yeah. It's but really, are there other themes that he sort of tends toward? I feel like he writes everything.
1: Yeah. It's. It is. Sort of dark and depressing, a little like Steinbeck styles, but I find, like, there's always humor in it. Okay. All of the characters yeah. have those little bits of humor and just kind of lightness sometimes. But then, you know, mm-hmm. there are monsters and ghosts and right. scary things. As I had said about Misery, like, a lot of it, you can tell, is kind of standing in for something else, masking those. Right. Depression, addiction, other kind of mental health things. Yeah. Uh, He had written a couple of, like, fantasy stories, but all of the fans kind of, like, rebelled. Oh, no. (laughs) And just sort of kind of wanted to, like, pigeonhole him in horror. Which, I mean, he's good at it. I have read Joyland, which is... I would classify it more as slightly supernatural. versus Like, it's not... I would not classify that as a horror, whereas, like, Dreamcatcher was definitely, like, kind of gross, scary, okay, weird, you know. And yeah. Obviously, The Shining is definitely spooky. Even Firestarter, not necessarily scary, but, like, very supernatural and stuff. Right. I think those ones are probably my preference of his. Yeah. Just because, like, I don't really care about gore and yeah. blood and gross. Okay. He does it well, and he does it in a way right. that I don't mind reading, and it's not like, ooh, this is horrible. But interesting. there are always weird... Bell related things, and it's just like, mm, yeah. nah. Yeah, I feel
0: like that is what I would tend towards with reading Stephen King as well, because that's I I sort of tend towards a slightly supernatural edge to yeah. things anyway, and so I feel like supernatural things are always dancing along an edge of horror. It's just I think a matter of how far you take it, or even just what you find scary.
1: Yeah, he sets a lot of his stuff in Maine. Uh, some people may have watched the series called Castle Rock that was kind of all built around his universe oh, okay so he has like this made up town in Maine called Castle Rock right. all these different characters from things like the green mile which i actually oh, read it. when it initially came out as like little mini serial oh, yeah, novels that's right he's kind of created this own world where mm-hmm. it is different every time but you know in It, they might talk about... In in the novel It. Right. <laughs> they might talk about somewhere, then that place will come up in Doctor Sleep or oh, in cool. somewhere else. I like that. And it's just enough that once you've read enough, you always kind of pick out those little things. Right. Which is why, for me, I really like Castle Rock. Yeah. Isn't Sissy Spacek in that? Yes. Nice. Yeah. No, it was amazing. Call back to Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I haven't seen. And I know she's in it. Yeah. And it... Uh, it also has, like, very much more of the supernatural vibes versus mm. straight up just, like, gore and horror.
0: So, right. Yeah, cool.
1: I also have read On Writing. Yes. Uh,
0: but <laughs> it's so good.
1: Obviously, like, the worlds he creates, these characters, mm-hmm. but for me, it's much more the process. You know, if he's yeah. setting out every single day to read and write for four to six hours a day... You know, there's this quote, and he says, if you can't find time for that, you can't expect to become a good writer. It's like, oh. (laughs) Damn it. Yeah. I think that's why on writing was so great, because he had a lot of those little tidbits and stuff, and then you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Or, like, you know, if you... Another quote was, if you wrote something for which someone else sent you a check, if you cashed the check and it didn't bounce, and then if you paid the light bill with that money, then you're talented. Like, it's just this little... Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that it was... The best thing, but it paid the bills. Right. Which is sometimes just what you need. <laughs> he's such a prolific writer. Like, yes. it's just, I can't think of anyone else. No, me neither. That writes as much as no. he does. No. Like, no, not at he's, all.
0: no, he's still writing. Like, the <laughs> only other name I can possibly think of is, like, Daniel Steele.
1: Yeah, or like, you know, right? like that kind of genre, yeah. for sure.
0: Yeah, something, yeah, something like heavily genre, which even though Stephen King gets categorized as horror, I feel like he's actually stretching the bounds of genre a lot. Yeah. Like, he's not sticking to something, I think, the way that Daniel Steele sticks to a certain type of story. Maybe? It's
1: close, though. I think okay. it's just there and different, okay. but, but you're right, it's that same idea of just another one and another one and another
0: yeah, one. Yeah, it's nuts.
1: There's very often kids involved, which obviously oh, yes. kind of makes things that little bit creepier, that little bit spookier. Spoiler. If you watch the movie it, it did not contain the young child sex orgy that is in the book. Oh god. Spoiler. I
0: feel like probably for good <laughs> reasons. Yeah, no, and like legit, like Whoa, what? Like kitty orgy. What?
1: But whatever. That's a lot. <laughs> Never mind the creepy clown. Oh my but yeah,
0: god. But so yes, like, there
1: there are always those bits. And you can tell, obviously, because he has had severe struggles himself and, like, right. things come out the way. There's books that he's written that he doesn't remember writing at all because he was just yes. beyond coked out. Right. And they are, like, still these really good stories.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: but sometimes have weird little...
0: Yeah. Pieces like well, that. you can even There's this one author picture I saw of him where you can also totally tell that he's just, like... On some substances.
1: <laughs> yeah. But he pushed through. Yeah. And he keeps writing, so. Yeah. Good I'm gonna for him. I'm going to keep reading.
0: Yeah. What's, What's next on your list for,
1: uh. I have read the first of the Dark Tower series. And that's kind of one of those iconic things that, like, if yeah. you read Suma King, you have to read the Dark Tower. Yeah. It's a little, like, kind of Western, supernatural. Oh, that's cool. Styles, which isn't necessarily my jam. Fair enough. But then, like, the movie came out, and there was Idris Elba, so, like, I could just, like, picture him oh. the whole time I was reading it, and, like, that kind of, like, pushed me through. Oh, my God, Idris Elba. <laughs> yeah, that'll push you through anything. <laughs> um, I feel, like, right now, I have the next two novels, but I also still kind of feel that I would end up buying other Stephen Kings before I actually get to yeah. them. I'm going to for sure have one of them on my list for next year. Nice. It's going to happen. But it might just not be as fast as. i yeah. would like, but yeah, that's the, that's the next plan. Cool. Who is your next favorite author?
0: My next favorite author is uh, Donna Tartt. Who is also an American author? You might are we know all American
1: authors. I, I think, think we, are. we might
0: be actually. How did we do that? That was a total Oh no, wait, accident. she's not American, is she? Yeah, she is. Oh. Yeah. Well, there we go. <laughs> we tried. Yeah, apparently all of our favorite <laughs> authors are American. Who knew? Yes, but you might know Donna Tartt um, because she wrote The Goldfinch. Uh, back in 2014, which I didn't realize. I thought it was more recent than that, but time's weird. Um, she won the Pulitzer Prize for that, so we have another Pulitzer oh, yeah, Prize winning author.
1: Must have read that in, like, 2016, so yeah, I guess so. Yeah, right? I know.
0: I actually, I read it in 2014 yeah. when it came out, and she has only written three books. The Secret History. i Stephen King. Yeah. <laughs> but she's also been writing for, like, 30 years. Yeah, she just takes like ten years, and per that's book.
1: The, that's the stuff that like, which is totally. the way like Stephen I don't thing. understand is that yeah. I feel I'm a, a super slow writer, as you know, mm-hmm. but like I feel like I know in the next twenty years I will have more than that done.
0: I mean, then, I would like to that's still feel also
1: light years behind for
0: me. Stephen but King. then also, I feel like if I only had three books and one of them was of the caliber of the goldfinch, I would also feel okay about that. There. So, can you tell which one of hers is my favorite? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And soon to be a movie. Yes. Which I am, of course, very wary of, but also looking forward to at the same time in this very conflicted way.
1: I mean, I guess all I know is that it's Ansel Elgort, and, like, he's good. He is good. I don't think I've actually researched enough to know who else is yeah. involved whatsoever. Well, the kid
0: who plays, what's his name, on uh, Stranger Things.
1: Hmm. Always Wasn't he good. cast
0: as young, um, young... Boris. Perhaps. Boris? Boris, yeah. Yes. Boris. But yeah, so her three books. uh, Her first one was The Secret History uh, sometime in the 90s. Uh, And then The Little Friend, which I think was early 2000, like 2002. Uh, And then The Goldfinch in 2014. So it really is like about 10 years in between each of her books. And I picked up the Goldfinch before. There was a lot of hype around the Goldfinch after it came out, but I yeah, picked I feel it up. Like yeah, it was up. on all of the like. It was. Lists, it was like on the all the lists, them. and she was named um, one of Time's 100 most influential people in 2014, presumably because of the Goldfinch. Nice. Uh Yeah. Right. But I picked it up because I saw it on the table, and I was like, "Oh my God, Donna Tartt wrote another book." <laughs> and so I immediately bought it. Like I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't heard anything about it. It was just Donna Tartt wrote another book. And that was even after having read, I read The Secret History first, which I really liked. Uh, it's a really good book. Uh, very, All of her books are very different, but they're all really good. And I read The Little Friend, which I liked, but not nearly as much as The Secret History. And I still was immediately like, like no, I need to read this. So yeah, she, she's kind of, there's not a lot of information about her. She's kind of oddly mysterious. Her bob cut and her <laughs> tailored suits. She's very, very like chic looking yeah like the definition of the word she definitely but yeah she's 54 she's been writing for 30 years charles dickens is her favorite writer um i found something that apparently <laughs> her answering machine message is her reading part of t.s Eliot's the wasteland which is just <laughs> i don't even know what to do with that information i can't imagine you calling somebody and then like getting leaving like... a message after that right i feel like okay uh but she's from mississippi Uh, apparently she may or may not have dated Brett Easton Ellis at one point because they were at school together writing books at the same time. And I guess uh, maybe dating. Who knows?
1: And even he's written a lot of, like, more than three.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he has written written quite a few. And I think in a style that's very different. Different to her. To her. Like, his is more, like, hyper-modern culture. Yeah. Whereas hers again, I'm stealing this from Wikipedia, so this is a quote, uh, has largely written in a neo-romanticism-inflected prose that borrows heavily from the stylings of 19th century literature.
1: Yeah, so, like, I also read The Goldfinch, and I can't remember exactly when it's set, but it could be now, but if you had also told me it was, like, 1910, Mm -hmm. I would have been like, yeah, sure, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. It has such a
0: timeless feel to it that I
1: don't know how she managed
0: to do it. Because I'm pretty sure it is set... Now, there is a very, very brief
1: reference to Facebook. Well, and I guess the way it talks about the museum and stuff where yeah. like everything yeah. starts. Yeah, and, and like stuff. they have cell that's phones. True. Oh yeah, that's
0: true. Um, but yeah, I don't know how she managed to like it feels like a classic. Yeah. Without even really trying. It's so good. I love it so much.
1: It was alright. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> no, I, know. I didn't I didn't dislike it. I just for some and I think maybe it was just when I was reading it, where I was, I don't know. It's also very long. It's very long, and I just felt like I constantly had to keep making the choice, okay, I have to read this, versus wanting to read it. I just, her
0: (laughs) writing (laughs) is so gorgeous. I loved it so much. I have read it twice at this point. My copy is very kind of battered looking. Not the dust jacket, because I take that off. (laughs) Underneath, it's not really white anymore. (laughs) Anyway, it's fine. So yeah, as far as themes, um, I don't know. Like I said, they're quite different. I think they all have a little bit of that romantic, almost sliding into gothic feel. Like the little friend I think is solidly southern gothic. Oh, okay. Whereas the secret history's got more of a, because it's in New England, mm. uh, set at this really tiny little university and they're part of this really tiny greek classics program and of like six students and this weird professor that they have oh crazy yeah yeah so it's very it's like this sort of insular kind of they're really isolated and it's got a really weird kind of vibe that way in a really good way yeah oh yeah for sure. and sort of in also a slightly gothic way but different than a southern gothic there's, she talks a lot about beauty, both, I think, in The Goldfinch and oh, yeah. definitely in The Secret History. Um, I think the, the most quoted uh, thing in The Secret History, uh, on Instagram at least, is uh, beauty is terror. There's a lot going yeah. on about beauty in that one. Yeah, also obsession, I think, in all three of them, which I just re- I only realized that today when I was thinking about, about it, just because of the way that he's obsessed with... The goldfinch painting in the Goldfinch, their sort the of girl. obsession with Greek mythology in the secret history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the girl, that's right. That girl that uh that he's in love with. And then in The Little Friend, the main character is really obsessed with so basically at the beginning of that one, her little brother or older brother, I think it must be her older brother, but then it gets weird because there's time passage. He is murdered like when she's super young and she's heard the whole story is her kind of obsessed with trying to find out who murdered him because they never find out. It's just, he disappears and then he shows up like, I think in the backyard or something. It's really horrific, but crazy. yeah.
1: But not I feel like I'm maybe intrigued. That one's smaller. Yes. It is. Okay.
0: Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's, it is. It was really good. I mean, I found that one. I know that some people said that the goldfinch, they found slow in places, which I can totally understand. Even though I loved every single tiny bit of it, concur. Okay. Um, I found the Little Friend slower, whereas the Secret mm-hmm. History I actually don't find slow at all. The structure of the Secret History is brilliant. It's so it's so well written. Because I was explaining this to you, I think that you that's what was Yes, was
1: like. Because I don't want to, like, super, super spoiler, but I was going to say, like, is that the one that we talked about that time where the thing happens? (laughs) Yes, but it's
0: not even a spoiler. I'm just going to straight up say it. (laughs) They murder their friend. Right. (laughs) But you know this literally from the first page. Like, they tell you, like, that is the first thing you find out when you're reading this book is they murdered him. And the first half of the book leads up to that murder. And then the second half of the book is all of the sort of, like, fallout afterwards. Yeah, but she doesn't. She's. It's just so good. She manages to give it suspense, even though you already know what's happening. sort of what's happening.
1: Yeah, and just because I did find the gold goldfinch to be slightly a bit of a doorstop. <laughs> it's so big. <laughs> it's so big. How, like, it like weighs like five pounds? I swear <laughs> to God. Uh, how how big are the other ones? Because like we we're just comparing this and this yeah. one is like. Two inches big and 800 pages or whatever.
0: I want to say The Secret History is probably sitting at around between 400 and 500 pages. Okay. Probably around 400. Yeah. The Little Friend might be slightly longer. I don't
1: actually, for sure.
0: But the other two are definitely shorter. Like, this one is the longest one.
1: It's also just, like, area-wise really big, which I feel like then makes it seem even longer. Yes. You know, because it's not like a little airport paperback where it's only three inches across. Like this is.
0: And it really does weigh a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I reread it around this time last year, and I'm carrying it around in my purse was just <laughs> terrible. The line that I really love the most in The Goldfinch is a really tiny one. I'm going to read a little bit before it, because otherwise I don't think it makes sense. Welty himself used to talk about fateful objects. Every dealer and antiquaire recognizes them. The pieces that occur and recur. Maybe for someone else, not a dealer, it wouldn't be an object. It would be a city, a color, a time of day the nail where your fate is liable to catch and snag. I loved that about the the nail where your fate is liable to catch and snag. I was just like, Oh my God. Yeah. No, that's, and I'll give you that one. Yes. Well, <laughs> and because after the buildup, like he's talking about the goldfinch as a painting and the way that it sort of tracks through Theo's entire life. Yeah. One day I want to be able to write like this. Yeah. It's too much.
1: <laughs> and speaking of that, what would you want to take from her writing and bring into yours?
0: I mean, I would love to be able to evoke the kind of atmosphere she does in it. Because I feel like all... It, I'm, I'm going to be using the gold... Well, no. I don't. Not just the goldfinch. Because the secret history, too. Like, you really get a sense of, like, this university and sort of the area around it. And it's just... You're always immersed in it, I find. And, like, yeah. I found, too,
1: like, with the goldfinch. Like, even now, it's been however many years. Mm-hmm. But I can still see... The apartment with the antique shop and like yes. the basement and all the little oh, things. His antique shop. I can still I can see all yeah. of that and it w- it was very you could Feel the dust. You could see the right. All yeah, that like stuff. you could
0: almost smell. Yeah. The like, the finishing that they're using on the yeah. antique furniture. Absolutely. Like she just does that so
1: well, and I I would love to be able to do that.
0: Oh, I also found out apparently she writes things out longhand first. So,
1: so eight hundred type pages. So that's only Whoa. like.
0: Twelve thousand handwritten pages. Oh my god. Yeah, but anyway, that's just a random tidbit about. What you're I feel like we both kind of go
1: through phases yes. where we do that, or then like. Or right you now, write
0: I'm... out an entire hundred thousand word novel longhand and then regret it.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> which is why I think like I'm in a weird spot where like I'm more like typing things right now, yeah. which is very anti me because my entire life I've always wanted to rather write versus yeah. type, but. Since she only yeah. has three novels, do we know if anything's in the pipeline? Or just I mean, you know, since this one came on? out in 2014,
0: <laughs> I'm assuming the next one's not going to come out until 2024. But whatever comes out next, I will absolutely read it without question. So who's your next author? Uh,
1: my second favorite author is Dennis Lehane. I was going to Google to... Double check how to pronounce his last name, but I did not. (laughs) But I'm just gonna assume that it's Lahane. Just, I don't know. Whatever. It's good. He is also an American author. Uh, He was born and raised in Dorchester, Massachusetts. And as everyone will learn and many people know, I have a slight intrigue or obsession, whatever, with all things Boston and the surrounding area. (laughs) Think obsessions, probably. You know. Whatever. It's fine. It's good. I don't even really know where it came from, but I know that Mystic River, right. by Dennis Lane, yeah, definitely pushed me towards that and mm-hmm. continued my love of it today. Uh, he's published more than a dozen novels. Uh, much like Stephen King, a lot of them have been turned into films. Yes. I think for me, the one of the reasons that he might even be my most favorite author is because of that. So when I was finishing film school, Mm. Mr. River came out just shortly thereafter. Oh, so good. And once I watched the movie, which was just absolutely beautiful, but also like destroying and all the things, I wanted to read the book. That's always, I've always loved reading books where I've seen the movie or Mm. vice versa, whatever. And it just kind of built from there. I wanted to read more. Shutter, you know, then Shutter Island came out and Gone Baby Gone came out. Yeah. And it just kind of grew from there. Another one of his short stories became The Drop, which was really good. It was one of What's-His-Face from The Sopranos' last films.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. It had oh, I, know, I had Tom Hardy, too. I know. I James, James Gandolfini. <laughs> <laughs> we got there. <laughs> uh, he, so Dennis Lehane has kind of had that working class life as well. He's worked as a counselor. He's waited tables. He's parked cars. worked in bookstores. He currently lives in California with his family. Uh, His very first novel was A Drink Before the War. This is actually the start of the Kenzie Gennaro sort of detective series. If you have seen Gone Baby Gone, you will see the detectives in there. That's actually the fourth novel in the series. Oh, interesting. I haven't got to that one yet, but I've read the first three. There's six total, and it won the 1995. Seamus Award for the best first PI novel.
0: Oh wow! (laughs) I didn't even know that was a award. I know, right? (laughs) Uh,
1: He's also taught fiction writing, and there's times where he's had an advanced fiction course at Harvard. Oh, that'd be freaking
0: sweet to take on
1: all of the levels. That's literally like, there's been nothing more, nothing more me that's ever existed. You're
0: right. You're (laughs) right. Oh my
1: god. Guess I'll just keep going to George Brown. Whatever. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, and you could just like go hang out at uh, the tate, tate in I Cambridge.
1: Ugh. <laughs> Whatever, it's fine.
0: Shout out to Tate if you're in Boston oh and need somewhere to eat the most delicious pastries the in the world and have the best
1: halva
0: latte that ever existed.
1: Halva lattes for the win. Oh my god. Yeah. I think I had, so I was there for two days. Yeah. Definitely got one on the Saturday, and I think I had at least two on the Sunday. Nice. It's necessary. <laughs> They're so good. Little side notes. Yes. <laughs> Tangents. For Dennis Luhane, Yeah. I would say if there was a theme to anything, it would be that of destruction. Oh, wow. Like emotional yeah. destruction. There's always some kind of racial or class warfare, mm-hmm. blue collar, father figures, children are lost, children right. are murdered, stolen, God. other... Spoiler related things. Uh, or well, I mean, since we fell, that would probably be one of, the, that's the most recent one that I've read mm-hmm. and his most recent novel. I would say that one did not have like a sad father figure. Okay. But it's still about this girl who was a reporter, got sent off to horrific, an island was destroyed, you know, okay. kids were sick and dying and getting raped, like everything. Shit. And she had just an emotional breakdown on air. And then...
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like people being pushed to their limits.
1: Yeah, and there's all this it's always something where you wouldn't expect that to happen, or if you did have something random in your past, like mm. especially, you know, Mystic River, it's all about what happened when Sean and Jimmy and Dave were kids right. and one of them got into the car and the other two didn't. And then Mystic yeah, River happened. I <laughs> don't actually remember any of the details
0: of Mystic River after like having watched it. I didn't read it, but I have seen the movie. All I remember is being truly destroyed by the end of it. Like I just oh, yeah. remember the sensation of finishing that movie and being like, oh my god. Yeah. Like, I need I need a week to recover from that.
1: And and they're all like that. So this is absolute spoiler. Also for you, apologies. But so Gone Baby Gone, mm-hmm. if you've read or seen it, again, little girl goes missing. Right. That's where the detectives come in, obviously. And it turns out that, like, this creepy, almost pedophile, like, stole her. Oh, God. But then, like, tried to sort of hide it as a murder, and it's always just crushing, which is why then Kinsey and Gennaro, like, the two detectives who, they're in a relationship, but they're always on the brink of it ending because everything is just so hard, so hard to deal with, so hard to handle in every book. Like, I've read the first three, and it's just every one, like, it's just soul-crushing, but in that way that I love, which I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know what it says about me, but. No,
0: I love it too. I, I'm, well, what does that say about both of us? No. Yeah. This is why we're friends. That's
1: what it says <laughs> about both of us. And I think for me, that's, like, as a writer, that's what mm-hmm. I would want to take away from it, is that right. ability to destroy people.
0: <laughs> no, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair, like, to be able to convey that kind of emotional gravity and actually have it affect your readers. Yeah, I think that's
1: totally legit. I know. It just makes me want to read more, but also, like... Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just... It's also, like... Coming from, like, my obsession with Boston, almost all of them are set in that area. So I can just... I can see all the places, especially in... Yes. Since we fell, because it's so new, and it's so literally the core of Boston. In nice. Copley Square, at the Public Library, at... Nice. On Newbury Street, like, all these things where I literally... They talk about Trident books, like... Amazing. Books that, like, all, like, stuff where it's... It's not just that, like, you kind of, like, no, oh, yeah, sure, you know. Yeah. The John Hancock building. No, no, no. It's, like, places that we've been, that we've... Yeah. ...gone to. I and that. as much as I love books where they create this world that you can see, I also just like... Yeah. ...being able to, like, see the real thing.
0: yeah I don't know. Well, yeah, random tangent. Because
1: <laughs> I just started
0: reading Station Eleven, which part of it takes place in Toronto, and... Like, at the beginning, he's walking from, I guess, the Elgin Theater over, like, up to college and across, and, like, like he's in Allen Gardens. And I'm like, oh, but I know, oh, yeah. I can, like, I can see that exact trajectory <laughs> that he took to get there, and yeah. I, I just love that. It's cool.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My next yes on the list pile for Dennis Lehane, I have one book by him. It is called The Given Day. It is set in, I think, 1910 or 1918. Oh, interesting. And it's still the same idea of that kind of working-class Boston, whatever, right. but obviously with all the other things that right. come with... Especially, I mean, not that race isn't a thing in Boston right now, but was clearly but yeah, much like more of a thing so back then. then. Yeah, for sure. But I'm not super into, like, period-time yeah. historical, time historical things, so I think that's why I've kind of pushed it off. Like, in my head right now, knowing right. that there's still more in the Kenzie Gennaro series, Right, I'd want to get one of those, but... Much like The Dark Tower, that book is also going to be on my 2019 list of, like, this is going to happen. Amazing.
0: Who is your third and
1: final favorite author? My third
0: and final is um, Maggie Stuvater, whose name I did have to look up in order to pronounce, because (laughs) I didn't know how. Anyway, now I know. (laughs) She is also an American writer um, who primarily writes young adult fiction. I feel like it starts to inch out of that a little bit. They drop a lot of F-bombs in The Raven Cycle. Huh. Yeah.
1: That I did not know. Yeah.
0: Even though, Whereas, it cat- like, there's not really a
1: lot in, like, The Hunger Games.
0: No. <laughs> I was actually... It's funny because when I first read it, I didn't notice, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then afterwards, I was like, oh, they swear a lot in this book for something that is classified as teen fiction. <laughs> they also drink a lot, and there are definitely some substances being used at some point. But anyway, so, you know... Young adult, but also <laughs> with an edge. Yeah. So she lives in Virginia, which is also where she grew up, on a farm with her two kids and her husband and um, many, many animals. <laughs> Apparently she has like four dogs, a bunch of goats, a cat, a horse. She, she might also have some cows. She, I just love her so much. I know, she's
1: everything you want to be. <laughs> she is everything I want to be.
0: So she used to work as a portrait artist specializing in equestrian art, which like, yes. is just so hilariously specific. It was like a portrait of my horse. No, but I honestly, like, I feel like that's what she was doing. Um, she also loves cars, uh, and she works on her cars, like, she knows how to fix them and stuff. Two of her cars actually made it into the Raven Cycle. So two of the characters, one of them, uh, Kavinsky, drives the Mitsubishi Evo, which is the car that she has, with a personalized license plate that says Thief on it, which is, shout out to the Dream Thieves, the second in the Raven Cycle, Um, and a Camaro that Gansey's Camaro in the Raven Cycle was also modeled after, which is this old Camaro that is always breaking down and super loud and doesn't run very well, but you know, she's got a lot of character calls her the pig it's cute she also plays bagpipes as well as a bunch of other instruments and i remember seeing some posts that she put on instagram where she was taking a blacksmithing course i was gonna say (laughs) i'm like i remember you showing me that yes as somebody who is interested in all the things (laughs) in my notes i wrote hashtag relatable
1: (laughs) you have never had an issue with trying to start too many hobbies no
0: that never happens about? to me so she has everything I could that name I like aspire seven to extra
1: hobbies that you're trying to start right now. I
0: know it's so bad <laughs> anyway anyway she writes um primarily fantasy as well uh so all of her books have some kind of fantasy element to them uh and she draws a lot from Irish and Celtic mythology Ooh. yeah
1: uh, so she think, did... I don't think we ever talked about that part before.
0: No, well, I didn't actually think about it until um, I was trying to figure out what kind of fantasy fantasy she's writing. But the Raven Cycle, for example, draws on stories of sleeping kings and kind of a King Arthur type of mythology. Primarily Welsh, because that's sort of the main guy that they're they're looking for a sleeping king in this. Uh, the king is Owen Glen, Glendur, I think is how you're supposed to pronounce sounds, it. Sounds With a great. very Welsh kind of. I probably butchered that. But you're supposed to be able to find the sleeping king and wake him, and he grants you a favor. And then in the Scorpio races, it's. Not Selkies, that's not. The Cavalishka, which is an Irish water horse, or Scottish also, I think it's both. Yeah. Uh, they go in both mythologies. But anyway, they're like these water horses. That are basically lure you into the water and then drag you into the ocean and eat you. I suppose it's very violent. Yeah, I think there's more to the mythology than that, but that's what she took for the Scorpio races. And she definitely has a whole fairy um, trilogy that I haven't read. The only one that's kind of weird is uh, she did a, a werewolf one, which is not really about. Yeah, that's kind of that's Irish weird. mythology at all. But I haven't read those ones actually. She does a lot of series, so I've read the Raven Cycle series. That was the first one that I read. I read the Raven Boys, and then I read... I, was, I, I started them at a good time, because it was right around the time that the last one came out, which I think is why I heard about it a lot. It was just all over the place, and I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to pick this up and see what it's like. And I loved it, obviously. And I read the entire four-book quartet in, like, a week, probably.
1: That sounds all right. Yeah. Every time you came to work, you had a different one, and I was like, well, "Yeah, we saw each other yesterday." Yeah.
0: Oh, and that was oh, when I was reading that one part <laughs> in the Raven King, and I like actually, it was on it was on break, and I got to this part, and it like destroyed me so emotionally that I wasn't even like fully present for the rest of my shift. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. I was very affected by these characters. It's fine. I love them all. I love them all, but mostly Ronan Lynch. <laughs> and I had managed to read, after I finished reading the series the first time through, I read one book, and then I was like, no, I need to read this again. <laughs> so I went back and read all four of them again. And then I read The Scorpio Races, which is a standalone, and All the Crooked Saints, which is her most recent and also a standalone. Yeah, I do want to read, I really want to read The Books of Fairy, just because I'm into that. Like, that's that was super my jam, especially growing up. Like, anything to do with but, like, fairies in a very Irish way where they're kind of creepy and yeah. out to get you, not in, like, a Tinkerbell way. Yeah, that sounds pretty yeah. Irish. <laughs> yeah. Like, a, like a, if you step into their circle, they're going to take you and make you dance in their fairy rebels forever. If you eat their food, they're never going to let you go. Like, they're kidnapping you. Those kinds of fairies. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, that's two books, Lament and Valid. And Requiem, apparently, she had written, but then wasn't happy with it, and so didn't end up publishing it. Yeah. Is
1: it something she's working on, or...?
0: It's something that she, I guess, might work on. Um, I was reading something where she had said that, like, it's so weird at this point, because they were her first books. Lament was her first, as far as I know. Yeah. And then...
1: My phone was buzzing. Apologies. (laughs) I remember to turn mine off this time <laughs> mm. <laughs> we'll get it there we'll, anyway we'll get it there.
0: anyway because she's written so much since then and she said that if she were to like looking back at lament and invalid she would write them differently and so it's weird for her to go back and try and fix the third one oh. without yeah without sort of wanting to change all of them oh, really? so she's yeah and i i I think I get that. Yeah. You know, if you hadn't thought about those characters and that story for a certain amount of time, it would be kind of weird to go back and try
1: and write that. Yeah, especially if if you've grown as a writer and then, like, you would want to fix those things that...
0: Yeah. But she's got um, a follow-up trilogy to the Raven Cycle.
1: Ooh. That
0: centers on (laughs) Ronan Lynch. My favorite. So I'm really excited about that. I'm so excited about that. Just give me all the Ronan Lynch forever. Because I love him. And if you really, truly... If you've read these books and you know me at all, you won't be even remotely surprised <laughs> that he's my favorite. Not even a little bit. He's so my character type. But anyway. Oh, should I give you a little a little snippet of, of yeah. the Raven Cycle? Okay, here we go. This is when they stumble upon this magical forest called Caveswater. Gansey looked up to them and she saw in his face that he loved this place. His bald expression held something new, not the raw delight of finding the ley line or the sly pleasure of teasing Blue. Blue is a character, by the way. (sighs) I feel like I should clarify that. (laughs) She recognized the strange happiness that came from loving something without knowing why you did. That strange happiness that was sometimes so big that it felt like sadness. It was the way she felt when she looked at the stars. Just like that, he was a little bit closer to the Gansey that Blue had seen in the churchyard and she found she couldn't bear to look at him
1: yeah
0: <laughs> yeah she she does a really good job with with places getting the setting like yeah. perfect and I was like trying to think of themes that unite everything and one of them's definitely like family and friendship and that kind of kind of thing and obviously the sort of magical aspects of everything but also the characters in her books are always really attached to the place that they are living in in this really interesting way awesome I dig it. Uh, <laughs> Alright, who's your third and final author?
1: Um, in a complete departure from the horror of Stephen King and the destruction of Dennis Lane <laughs> it is Chuck Klosterman. Nice. And is... a
0: departure from fiction. Also true.
1: Uh, he is kind of, I would say everything in general is like collections of pop culture essays. He has been... He was a columnist uh, for Esquire and ESPN.com. Oh, cool. uh, he worked on Grantland, which we just right. were talking about um, before that kind of ended, and a whole bunch of people headed over to The Ringer with Phil Simmons. He has ten books right now. He actually has two, like, fiction novels. Oh, I did not know that. I've kind of purposely avoided them. Fair enough. Just because I want to keep him yeah what he is for yeah. me right now. His first novel was a sex, well, not novel, collection of essays, whatever, uh, was uh, was Sex, Drugs and Cocoa Puffs, A Low Culture Manifesto. A lot of people have seen and read that. It was kind of the first yeah. of its thing. Talks about all of the, the pop girls, the different movies, anything and right. everything like that where people who aren't readers, they like to read his stuff because it's, it doesn't really like take you in too far because it all, it is all little essays yeah. you don't have to like.
0: It is very accessible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Which I think is. Good, because people should read. Uh, He was also a journalist in Fargo, where he grew up, and in Akron, Ohio. He was a senior writer for Spin. He was on GQ, New York Times, a little bit of everything. I have read just about everything of his. Nice. Yeah, like Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, Killing Yourself to Live. Uh, He actually tours Mm -hmm. around and stops at all kinds of different places where famous musicians have died. Oh, cool. But then it's also like stories about his life and the different girls that he's with at the time and his road right. trip side of things. So it's, I really like the way that it's weaved together. Nice. Is that he is on, in, on this specific journey to write something, to do mm-hmm. something, but then it's also obviously very reflective on himself. Yeah. Um cool. I Wear the Black Hat was really cool. It was all about villains, but in a very broad spectrum to, you know, athletes that could be seen as villains oh, okay. or, you know, political figures, anyone and everything where it comes down to... It's not just, like, you know, right. movie character bad guys.
0: Right. No, you could also be, like, talking, like, about, I don't know, like, Tanya Harding.
1: Exactly. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. It's, it, and, like, that's really interesting. He just, he makes you think. He has all yeah. these little ideas and stuff. One of the most recent ones that I just finished was, but what if we're wrong? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's basically just examples, you know, like, however many hundreds of years ago they thought the world was flat. Now we know it's round. What will people think in, like, 400 years? Cause like it's so. It's it's... not that like the people back then were necessarily wrong. That was what they knew. Yeah. And like this is what we know. Yeah. And just think we know. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's messed up. Even just you know he's talking about how in like twenty years, football is not going to matter, but like right now we think it does. But then like then it won't. Or if you know Egyptians had TV and we could watch their TV, what would their shows be about? But then therefore, what would be the show? that would like define our generation or like our hundred years as like if you watch it right five hundred years in the future, that would be the best example of our culture, our life. Because like, like it can't really about. be like a reality show because that's not real. But no. then one of his examples was Roseanne, which I mean obviously now things have slightly changed with things, but like that's which is which, aside from the point. But that's like, that no, kinda
0: even part of the point.
1: Like But even but just that like regular family Right working, struggling, with, like, it's, you know, it couldn't be, like, an HBO show, because, like, that's not no, life. Yeah, like, it's, it's really crazy. <laughs> uh, we also read Eating the Dinosaur, which will yes, be an upcoming episode in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> he talks about all these things that you might not care about, you might not know anything about. Yes. But he pulls you in, in a way. He
0: really does. That
1: then you care, or you want to know more.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Which is weird, because yeah. there's, a lot of stuff that, like, yeah, I probably don't care about, but who knew that 1970s NFL football would be so intriguing?
0: Right. <laughs> right. Like, I do not care about football, but he made me care about football in that yeah. M1 essay. Yeah. Yeah. Know.
1: My favorite thing about it is that it's, it feels like it's just his sort of inner monologue. It's his inner Seinfeld of just, like, Yeah. talking about stuff that seems like everyday stuff. And when I was taking, like, a creative nonfiction writing class, I feel like... What goes on in my head is the kind of the way that he writes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why I really connect with him and how I want to kind of get into my writing. Nice. It, it all has a focus. It has a flow. It has mm-hmm. a topic. But then there's also like always footnotes and little asides I that are like complete pageants. So but they just, I don't know, they just, I almost like reading them more than. Yeah. Like excellent <laughs> use of footnotes. Than anything else. Because there's one in, in this. So this is from, but what if we're wrong? This main, this essay is kind of about Kurt Vonnegut stuff and Cheers reruns. Sure. See? Like,
0: how does he even do that?
1: (laughs) And, like, it's going on about, like, Vonnegut's references to the Victorians and stuff like that. But then there's this complete aside. It's, when casually talking to like-minded friends, people rarely say, I saw a movie last night. People more often say things like, I saw The Hateful Eight last night. Or I finally saw the new Tarantino last night. We live in a proper noun culture. Now, is it possible that the specific film will be lost to history? Is it possible that referring to Quentin Tarantino in an offhand manner will be confusing or misleading? Sure. But the two seconds it will take a future reader to figure this out from the context is better than directly reminding the reader that this is a fiction that never happened at all. Like, that had nothing to do with anything that was going on. <laughs> but,
0: like, that's really interesting. That is really interesting, <laughs> and it's actually something I think about when I'm writing fiction. Is like, if I throw this in there, is that going to be a weird reference that nobody's going to get? Yeah, like is it too specific? Right. But then on the other hand, I think about older books, classic books that have footnotes and endnotes. And a lot of times they are just explaining things like
1: that. So people have been doing it and it's not hindering anybody. Yeah. So well, that's one of my favorite things too, is in the back he always has an index. And it's just oh, yeah, for awesome. what stuff was mentioned when. So if you're interested in any sort of pop culture thing and you're like, hmm, I wonder if he wrote anything about... Johann Sebastian Bach. You can flip back and be like, oh, shit sure, on page 72. Great.
0: I also <laughs> love that too, know because then you can be like, oh, but there was that essay where he was talking about this, and you can't remember where it
1: was. Yeah, oh, right, about Coco the Gorilla, who signed. Oh, right, sure.
0: Aw, Coco the Gorilla. I don't know.
1: He just has, like, such a great flow and, I don't know, like, vividness to the writing. Mm-hmm. I just feel like I always, and again, maybe that's just because it's how I think, it's how I kind of see the world and my writing and whatever. I just dig it, and it's absolutely one of the ones that every time we also go into the bookstore that I almost buy another one. Yes. Like that time when I almost bought four, and then somehow decided not to, and bought a David Sedaris instead, and then got home, (laughs) and found that it was already on my shelf, and I have no idea when I purchased it, or, like, literally no clue, but I'd already passed Jet, bought it for future Jet. Yeah. Just... Knowing that she would want to read it. Yeah.
0: So the moral of that story is no <laughs> buying Chuck Klosterman is so that you check your bookshelf or you know for a fact that it is brand new.
1: Well, that's why, like, after that one, there's only one other one, 10, which I think is just more of a collection of pr- previously published stuff, so I don't know oh, if okay. I necessarily even need
0: to get that one. Right.
1: But yeah, so at this point, unless it's on the new release shelf in hardcover, <laughs> I'm not allowed to buy any. No more and <laughs> that being said I want to leave you with one last little yes. clusterman yes, and quote yes 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 to matter forever you need to matter to those who don't care and if that strikes you as sad be sad <laughs> oh uh, boy yeah which I feel like is kind of hits me in the <laughs> in the wherever yeah. on so many <laughs> so many Love levels it. those are our those top are, yeah. sort of six favorite authors. Yes. Um, They have inspired our writing styles. Basically true. they all have books that we want to read. Mm-hmm. If we see them we're gonna get them no matter what. Yes. We
0: mm-hmm. have
1: a little list if anyone wants to jump in and kind of start reading any of these authors. Yes.
0: So starting with Steinbeck I would recommend East of Eden. If you don't want to dive into a super long Steinbeck right away, you could also go with Of Mice and Men. But, like, maybe don't start with Grapes of Wrath. It's real depressing.
1: Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. For Stephen King, I picked The Shining. Obviously, a lot of people will have Jack Nicholson in their head. It is different. Mm -hmm. It is definitely different. Uh, So don't, like, be disappointed. But it still has all that. And it's just a good introduction. Again, it's that... A few little kind of gross things, but more of the psychological side of things and that kind of, like, spooky scary. Nice.
0: So for, for Donna Tartt, obviously... I, Gee, I wonder. <laughs> obviously mm. I'm going to say The Goldfinch. <laughs> um, but I mean, it is very long. I think really my general recommendation... she only has three books. My general recommendation would actually be don't start with The Little Friend. I still like the book, but, like, yeah. just don't start there.
1: <laughs> Pick one of the other yeah. two. Uh, For Dennis Lehane, I picked Mystic River, I think partially just because that was the first one that I kind of latched onto. Obviously, anything in the Kenzie Gennaro series is good. Start with the first one. If you've seen any of the movies, the books are even better. Shutter Island is Mm. great. Nice. Um, The drop is based off of a shorter story whose title I cannot recall at this point. But that's okay. Because you'll just start with *Mister River.
0: Exactly. And for Maggie, (laughs) I would, of course, say start with the Raven Cycle because I love it wholeheartedly. But, again, if you don't want to commit to a whole series right away, the Scorpio Races is where I would direct you. It's really good.
1: And for Mr. Klosterman, I would say go classic. Start with where everyone kind of started, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puff. It'll get you everything you're looking for, all the different kinds of... Pop culture, movies, sports, music, whatever. It's just a really good introduction to all that wonderful Chuck Klosterman goodness. Nice.
0: So yeah, thanks for joining us while we talk about our favorite authors. And um, hopefully hopefully you've got some new books to read. Maybe. Yeah. Um and let us know about your favorite authors. We're we're all over the place on social media. <laughs> you can let us know. Yeah. We're on Instagram, we want to hear about it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um our next episode will be about Everything is Horrible and Wonderful. Yes. It was one of my choices for our book club in 2018. It is a memoir that is, I would say, heartbreaking. Oh, God. Beautiful, but heartbreaking. So good, but so heartbreaking. I'll let you uh, look that up, and that episode will be coming up in two weeks. Yes. We will see you then. Thanks again for listening to another Book on the Shelf podcast.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Another Book Pod and on Instagram at Another book Podcast for updates, what we're reading so you can join along, and more book related awesomeness.